Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. In the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Thank you. Good morning. I'm not going to preach a sermon to you this morning so much as I simply want to be here to more or less encourage and inspire you that although the days that you and I live in I think are absolutely phenomenally wonderful, they're also very difficult. How many understand what I just said? Uh, There's a tremendous amount of worry and anxiety and depression and discouragement within the body of Christ, literally across this nation, around the world. I'm not quite sure, however, that there needs to be as much of it as there is. And so this is a day of encouragement. It's a day to look carefully into God's word about staying strong and finishing well. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. Just kind of put your finger in there for just a few moments. We're going to read again, once again, uh, the scriptures that were read just a few moments ago, just a little while ago. And then also we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And then after that, I want to share five things with you. I call them absolutes. I know that's kind of a strong word, but uh, they're just things that I believe are foundational and very, very necessary for God's people to know, understand, and do. And all about simply staying strong and finishing well. Now, I know that every once in a while I get to a point where I just wonder, Lord, is it, can I even make it through the day? Does anybody kind of understand what I just said? It's just a kind of a, a little bit difficult time sometimes. I'm more and more convinced that the message of Jesus is really a message of Christ in us, the hope, a hope of glory. And as I mentioned just a little while ago, uh, probably one of the things that I missed so much in my early Christian experience was the advent of Jesus. Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send you the comforter. When he has come, not only will he be with you, but he will be what? In you. The very spirit of God that has much more of an ability to help me to live the righteous kind of life that God wants me to live. And I I know that when I started out, and probably when you started out, uh, life seemed to be, or Christian life seemed to be pretty legalistic in an awfully lot of ways. As I look back, I'll tell you what, friend, a whole lot easier to serve Jesus than it is to serve the enemy. By a long, long ways. And yet, most of us in this room perhaps know of individuals that started on the journey, no longer walking with the Lord. Some of us in this room perhaps have young people, children, that have somehow or another been caught crossways between uh, a, a relationship with the Lord and the things of the world, and for, at least for right now, have chosen the world. The deep pain, the anguish that goes to the hearts of so many of us when we begin to realize our children are not following the example that we've tried to set for them, or they're just simply not following the Lord. I want to encourage you that I really believe that God still has his hand on our children. As much as it hurts to see sometimes what they're going through, uh, we still still need to hold the courage that God has given us that eventually and one day 
that as they are testing and trying the things of the world, that God's going to bring them back. Perhaps it is, too, that you know of somebody nearby, a neighbor that does not know the Lord. And it, it's really time that today is the day of salvation. It's really time that we help people to understand there's a very powerful war going on. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and life and the kingdom of death and darkness. And people need to move from the kingdom of death and darkness into the kingdom of light and life. And only one way to do that, and that's by Jesus. And even increasingly, I think that you're, you and I are going to find in the world in which we live that the more we talk about only one way to the Father, the more the world gets upset. But I can't help that, friend. It's not my idea. It's God's idea. Uh, meaning simply, Buddha is not seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Confucius is not seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is. And we need to focus on that more and more. Uh, the world hates it, though, that we would even begin to suggest that there's only one way to the Father. But my friend, that's the gospel message. Uh, whether I like it or not doesn't have anything to do with it. It means simply that I need to concentrate on the things concerning what God has laid out, and especially in Jesus. And that's why in John chapter 14, words we've already looked at this morning, I want you to look at them very carefully with me right now. Again, verses 1 through 3. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now verse 3, I think so incredibly important this morning. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I'll come again. The hope of the church for the last 2,000 years has been the return of Jesus. That's what we look forward to. Not necessarily with a passive uh, approach to life, but simply that has been our hope now for the 2,000 years since Jesus has left. I have reason to believe, very difficult sometimes to talk about it, but the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Help me out. I need your help this morning. How many believe that? You say, Ray, are you going to put a date on it? Absolutely not. I think that's too dangerous. But when you look over the last 100 years, and we see the exponential growth in knowledge, and then try to compare that to the next 100 years, if indeed we had another 100 years, and I'm not sure that we do, I'm not quite sure what we will come across in terms of knowledge and understanding. But the exponential growth during the last century is so incredible. Think with me for a moment. You go back 100 years, and we really didn't know much about what an airplane was. You go back 106 years and tell people that eventually man was going to fly through the sky in a little metal tube, and uh, <laughs> there are jets today that carry, I understand, are capable of carrying 800 people. That doesn't bother me a bit. That didn't surprise me. It's 800 people plus all the luggage that's surprising. And I mean, just the computer age, and we think about what... Uh, the electronics age and electricity and all of those things been an exponential curve. You go to the book of Daniel and he says in the last days knowledge shall what? Increase. And boy, I'll tell you, this exponential curve uh, leads many of us to believe that we are on perhaps the precipice of the coming of the Lord, meaning simply that there is a time that is now appearing. You say, Ray, where do we go with this, folks? I think we simply go into element of faithfulness and continue on to do the works that God has called us to do and let God figure out when he's going to come. Just a matter of being faithful in the days ahead. And so if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse, beginning with verse 23. 
it really leads in from what I just, or I'm leading into it, from what I just mentioned about being faithful and continuing on in difficult times. It says in verse 23 of the of Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more, the more, as you see the day approaching. Skip down with me now to verse 31. I want you to understand this. As we move through this morning and as we move through this afternoon, and we're really going to get into some nitty-gritty points about staying strong and finishing well beginning at 2 o'clock this afternoon. How many are going to come this afternoon? Or how many are going to wait to see how well I do this morning before you make up your mind? Now, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you by the Word of God that we can stay strong and finish well. A lot of it has to do with simply understanding some things that God has placed in his word. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6, the scripture says, My people perish. Does anybody remember for what reason? For lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. I need all the information I can get from God's word as to what the days ahead mean and what it really means to stay strong and finishing well. And so verse 31 of Hebrews chapter 10 says simply, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm not interested this afternoon, I don't believe the Lord is either, of just plain scaring people. But what we are interested is understanding the will, the mind, the heart of God himself concerning redemption and reconciliation of humanity. How it is that God has formed a plan to redeem this planet and what really this message is all about. It goes on to say in verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you illuminated you endured a great struggle with sufferings. I'm not sure just exactly how much you may have tapped into a message for the last 30 years, especially in America, that has more to do with prosperity than it has to do with the fact that we do have difficult times to go through as Christians or as people in general. Not meaning that God does not bless his people, just a matter of there is a balance point here, that God indeed blesses us, but at the same time, bad things happen to good people simply because it's a difficult world. Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened. Think it not what? Boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, Every time something bad happens to me, uh, I'm just wondering why me? Now, my wife and I have been relatively free from illness and sickness and disease and and all kinds of things for, for all of our lives until... Uh, well, there's occasionally, I mean, I had a horse accident and I had two discs in my neck replaced. And we have the common, you know, little tiny things that happen. And we get the flu like everybody else does and a cold or whatever. But about two months ago, all of a sudden, just a strange evening in which I started to bleed. And by the time I got into the hospital, the doctor was saying simply, you need an operation. And I needed it immediately. And uh, about two months, a little over two months ago, they removed about 25% of my colon. And by the way, just a little side note, uh, in the middle of going through that operation and all of the, the, the rest and everything that I needed in the hospital to get uh, well enough to get up again, I, I looked up, I think I looked up, I glanced up, and uh, Greg Honus was standing by my bed in the hospital. And I'll tell you what, um, that's pretty neat when a pastor drives uh, almost an hour to somebody that's not even a part of his congregation. Uh, and just is there to say, yeah, I, I want to be here for you. Uh, folks, we need each other. 
It goes back to verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And boy, I'll tell you, I felt that ex- exhortation just to recognize somebody cared enough uh, in order to come and visit me all that distance. And so again, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, endure, you endured a great struggle with, uh, with, uh, with sufferings. And uh, let me just encourage you, and I want to do this this afternoon, uh, again, that bad things do happen to good people, and, 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 and uh, there's a number of times and situations and conditions in which you, you and I didn't do anything wrong in order to ultimately have that come into our lives. Uh, when I do something wrong, it's usually something bad comes into my life. How many understand uh, the law of sowing and reaping? Hello, good morning. Uh, you, you know, I, I have a tendency to do that, and I reap what I sow. But there's so many times that I can't put a finger on it. And the discouragement that comes out of that oftentimes begins to break a little bit of my relationship with the Lord. It's a matter of, Lord, I don't understand what I've done wrong. And there's so many times when you have not done anything wrong. It's a matter of getting used to the fact that there's a war going on. Talk more about that in a few moments. Partly why you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my change and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves where? In heaven. In heaven. Excuse me, in heaven. And then verse 35. And I'd really like you to concentrate on this for just a few moments, even make it perhaps a, a, an inner prayer at this particular moment. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Lord, help me in every way, shape, and form in the days ahead. Uh, can I just put it in, kind of into a beast language? Lord, help me not to do something stupid. Because I just don't want to disappoint you in the days ahead. And I want to be a part of what you're doing for all of my life, including now and forever. And so let me share with you in kind of a preparatory mode for this afternoon, five, and again, a strong word, absolutes for staying strong. First of all, number one, I need a biblical view of the nature of God. I need a biblical view of the nature of God. Let me exhort you to strive for that. The Bible says if we will seek him, we will do what? Find him. There's a personal belief, and I hope that you will endorse what I'm about to say, and that is that every day of my life I need to spend time alone with God. Uh, Jesus is the example of just spending time with the Father. Uh, very hard in our day and age because of how uh, ragged our, our time schedule happens to be. And yet I feel every day, and I'm not a legalist on this, but I feel every day I need to spend time alone with God. I need to spend time in the Word of God. Now, if I fail a day or something, I'm not going to live in condemnation. I hope you understand that. But I want to make it a practice that is so powerful that I find myself, no matter whether I'm tired, no matter whether I'm weary, no matter what it is, I still pick up my Bible and I go to a quiet place to be alone with the Lord. It's an absolute for me. The more of the Word, the more of prayer, the more of fellowshipping with God's people, the better I am able to stay strong. The moment I quit fellowshipping with God's people, my mind may say, Ray, you're okay, and nothing's going to happen, you're still strong. But what I don't recognize is that ultimately something begins to sour in my spirit, and I am not okay. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Can I put it that way? To fellowship one with another. I think when I was here before, I shared some of the things that were uh, kind of um, difficult for me to move through when I first received Jesus. 
And uh, I, I think that I, I'm going to do part of it again today. But, but folks, I don't ever recall having an evil thought till the day I got saved. And then a little thought that kept coming right after that. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't think that way. How many understand what I'm saying right now? I'm trying to say simply, the mind is the battlefield. And boy, I'll tell you what, it doesn't take but a short period of time, sometimes nanoseconds almost to turn us upside down and to send us into a a kind of a hopeless situation, oftentimes for days on end if we're not careful. The Bible says and makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we... The the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down what? Imaginations, you've got it. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, listen carefully, bringing every thought into captivity. If I don't bring thoughts into captivity, I find my mind wandering into things it should never wander into. Such as there's somebody that just doesn't like me. My kids don't love me anymore. You know, my wife just didn't have time for me. And, you know, I can get into a pity party very, very quickly. Anybody else with me this morning? You know, and I have to cast that down. And if I don't cast it down, I find that it brings my spirit down, and all of a sudden, I'm turning a little bit negative, and if I let it stay a little bit more negative till after a period of time, I become a negative person. I'll tell you what, you can't live a joyful life in negativity. It just doesn't work. And so a biblical view of knowing and understanding our God. Now, when I first came to him, it was a matter of, I I, I had some pretty poor views of God. I I thought, really, that he was kind of a a taskmaster. If if not, uh, I didn't even see him as a father, honestly. And it's all a part of the learning process. You stay walking with God, and he will reveal his character to you. And most of you in this room, I think, know what I'm talking about. The day I began to recognize that I was a child of God was an immense revelation to my spirit. And then to get rid of this whole idea that God had a club in his hand, and all of a sudden, all I had to do was just kind of deviate slightly, and suddenly God was going to be angry to the point where I'm not even sure whether I was welcome into his kingdom any longer. I just got an email yesterday. I read it from a man that emailed me from Alaska. And uh, he, he mentioned how in his mind, there's always been this understanding, as soon as I get my life cleaned up, as soon as I am the person ultimately that God wants me to be, then I can rejoice and be a part of this kingdom. And uh, I kind of like the song, Just As I Am. And that's the essence of what God is saying, is that you will never become the person that I created you to be without me. That you need to come to me with all of the ragged elements of who you are, all of the disastrous decisions that you have made in the past, all of your failures, everything you have ever done wrong, and just lay it on me. And boy, the comfort that comes out of that. You say, but that much grace will cause you to kind of have a license for sin, doesn't it? And I want to say, that kind of grace causes me to want to get as far away from sin as I can possibly get, a, get away from because of the love of God at that moment wants simply to please him. The second thing, I need an understanding of my own personal makeup. And that is that where many of us, and perhaps a few of us, myself included in this room, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I understand the word of God. I have a tendency, if I'm not careful, to become a little bit arrogant. Anybody here like that? Just a matter of uh, two of us in the room, I guess. 
I never realized it until God points it out, of course, that all of a sudden I'm not the servant that God's called me to be. Now I'm the person that thinks he can tell everybody and anybody what to do because I've got better understanding of the word of God. And I forget my servanthood. In Genesis chapter 3, I'd like to encourage you to read Genesis chapter 3 sometime in the next few days because God basically points out through Adam two of the problems, two of the basic problems ultimately that touched humanity when Adam and Eve sinned. The first problem is fear. Fear. Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I lost the glory. I was what? Afraid. So that in the New Testament, God is trying to reconcile that. He's trying to ultimately bring about a solution to the fear that is at the depths of most of us in this room, if not every single one of us, and I believe all of us to some degree, once, one way or another. And the scripture says God has not given us what? Spirit of fear. And then I wonder why, as a mathematician and a researcher, as I research America, God's people, not the world, but God's people, and I'm finding right perhaps at about 60% of God's people across America know and understand and experience what are called, often experience what are called panic attacks. Folks, that's well over 50% of those of us who call ourselves Christians. Now, I didn't say that to condemn. I said it simply that if you're experiencing or know or understand what I'm talking about, it's a matter of God never designed that for you. You say, well... Maybe it's because of my sin, and I want to say, no, it's not because of your sin. God still never designed that for you. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of what? Sound mind. In just a few moments, I'm going to talk about the enemy of our soul. And I want to say it this way. The enemy would like to believe, or us to believe, that there is something inherently wrong with our minds. Now, picking each of us out kind of as an individual, because thoughts come in a certain way, there must be something wrong with this. I'm just kind of curious, anybody in here ever thought you needed an EKG just to figure out whether there might be something growing up there that shouldn't be in your head? I don't want to say, no, you're okay. You're all right. You're just experiencing the battle. And if you're making increasing commitments to Jesus, you're going to experience more of those kinds of things hitting your mind. And I want to say, it's at that point when you recognize that this isn't coming from Myself is not coming from you. I have reason to rejoice at that particular moment, but that's not a part of me. It's a part of something external that's trying to destroy me. Now, the scripture that we read just a little while ago that uh, uh, was read from the pulpit here a, a few moments ago is simply, we wrestle not against what? Flesh and, flesh and blood. Now, if I take this as God's word, which I do, and God is saying to me, he's saying to you, the battle is not with people. Your spouse is not your problem. Close maybe, but that's not your problem. That wayward teenager, not your problem. Uh, that, 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 uh, 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 that employee that you work with, it's so hard to work with, that, not your problem. Your boss is not your problem. The government of the United States is not your problem. You say, what's my problem? The Bible says that we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul the Apostle is talking about demon spirits, and he's giving us just four echelons of them. 
And again, the scripture makes it extremely clear. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, I believe it is, the Bible says we're to resist the devil so that he will do what? So that he won't bother us anymore. And the resisting process and learning how to do that, that, my friend, is a learning situation. Well, let's go a little bit deeper. Understanding my own personal makeup. I understand that basically after I walked for a while with Jesus personally, I began to realize that I didn't make decisions very well and I needed the help of God. In order to do what is right, I need God. Let me say it again. I need the Lord. Then as you take a careful look at Paul the Apostle, he's saying exactly the same thing in Romans chapter 7. Beginning with verse 14, Paul says it this way, the things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I don't want to do, I always find myself doing. Does anybody understand Paul in that capacity? Then you must understand this, that Paul was experiencing in that condition a tremendous amount of guilt and condemnation in his daily life. He ends the chapter by saying simply, the solution is Jesus. The solution is Jesus. And of course, he's trying to make this eventually so incredibly personal as to say that this is not in the realm of the mind or thinking. This is the mind of reality in the human spirit. And so in Colossians chapter 1, he says it this way, that it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Or Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Say, Ray, what does that mean? It means a lot to me on a California freeway, I'll tell you that. Because if I'm going to get upset, which I do periodically, and I'm learning better to handle my anger and frustration of concerning people in life and so forth, but if I'm going to be upset, it's almost always on a California freeway or an awful lot of the time. Now, I'm sure there's somebody that understands that. People that follow you too close, people that cut you off, people that are just plain stupid, I get upset. I really get upset. But I'll tell you one thing. I don't have to any longer since I learned Philippians 2.13. You say, why? Because if the verse is correct, then there's power and strength in Jesus not to have to change them down and find out where they park that nice shiny red car and when they're not looking, run my key down the side of that nice paint. Or do something else like that. You say, have you ever done that? No, I've never done it, but I've sure considered it. Or something very similar. All I'm trying to do is to help you identify, sometimes with the thoughts that go through us as human beings, well, I'll tell you what, if we finally, if we wind up doing them, uh, then we live in a lot of guilt and condemnation if we continue to walk with the Lord because we've done something wrong that needs to be made right. That's a frustration of life. I'm discovering this, I don't have to be the person I used to be. Not because I'm better at resisting personally, but I'm better at resisting simply because I have God to resist with me. So my prayer may go something like this. Dear Jesus, you know, traveling down the road and somebody's bothering you. Dear Jesus, I really need your help right now. This guy, you know, that whatever, I really need you. You've got 30 seconds to answer this one. Now, how many understand what I'm saying about appropriating the very power and spirit of the Holy Spirit at that moment? It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says it again, I've been, and you'll find numerous other verses of Scripture about Christ in me, the very hope of the life that God wants us to live. 
So Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ does what? He lives by His Spirit. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. By His Spirit, He lives in me. And I'm going to say, I need every element of spiritual strength I can get to navigate this life, not just in terms of my relationship with other people, but also for the thoughts that go through my mind that are so oftentimes extremely discouraging and self-defeating. I need you, Jesus. I need a personal relationship with you. Number three, I also need to know the enemy. I need to understand him. Not to the point where it's always a matter of somehow or another uh, emphasizing the element of warfare. I perhaps am as upset as you are sometimes when I run across people that everything is about the enemy. Everything is about the, the enemy of our soul. How many run across those people occasionally? How many are one? No, I, no don't raise your hand. No, there's a balance for sure. I speak extensively and have for years on the subject of spiritual warfare. I've been a part of writing three books that have been published by major Christian publishers on the subject of spiritual warfare. I don't go around thinking about the devil all day long. I go around thinking about Jesus. But I tell you what, I want to know his goals, his motives, his tactics, that is the enemy, so that when ultimately I'm up against the enemy, I know what to do about it. I know how to resist. Is that fair enough? You'll never fight a war unless you know your enemy. And we really need to know our enemy. He's not some figment of human imagination. He's not a concept or an idea. When Jesus spoke directly to Peter, for obviously Peter knew very little about the enemy of our soul. So in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Jesus and Peter are talking one day. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, listen to me. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And after the sifting process had taken place, Peter writes back to the church in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, and he simply says, Satan goes about his what? Come on, as a roaring lion, doing what? Seeking whom he may devour. Something that I kind of wrestle with, and that is that there are Christians today that will say, uh, in Christ we have nothing to worry about concerning the enemy. He has no influence on us. My friend, if that were true, the Bible would never say, put on the whole armor of God. The Bible would never talk about taking up the different armaments that are necessary. That we have weapons to fight with. The Bible would never say, resist the devil. It would never warn us in place after place after place about the enemy of our soul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul the Apostle says something that I wish here in America we could say. And that is, we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. But recent polls indicate, I think the one more recently, is that 47% of American Christians do not, American Christians do not believe in the enemy of our soul. I say that leaves a wide open door to an awfully lot of people to allow the enemy to influence. Enough of the enemy. Let's go on and talk about the world in which we live for a few moments. I'm almost done. I need to perceive correctly the world in which I live. Now, I want to touch on something that may bother some of you. And I'm going to try to be very, very carefully. But I, like most people, I think, in America, have reason at times to be upset with some of the current political dynamics that are going on or taking place. I'm trying to ease into this very carefully. How many understand what I just said? There are political dynamics. There are spinsters out there. There are individuals, by the way, that are, are really 
uh, interested in somehow or another causing us to understand that our freedoms are at jeopardy and on and on and on, those kinds of things go. And I'm, I'm not by any means saying that that is not true or should not be. What I'm saying is that as a Christian, I need to be very careful how involved I become in the political dynamics of not just my country, but my world as well. Say, how much are you involved? I want to do everything that I can do to influence my culture. And I hope you believe the same way. But at the same time, the fight isn't against his culture. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. And I want to make sure that as a Christian, I'm fighting the good fight, which is a spiritual fight first. You say, Ray, how do I do that? I'm right now planning on doing a, a new seminar just to examine the words of Jesus. Come to a church like this and just let's sit down and let's take a look at the words of Jesus. And you're going to find this, that there wasn't anything political about Jesus other than pay your taxes. And of course, I've been trying to do it the way that Jesus recommended. You say, how did he recommend? Well, in one case, it was to go fishing. And I believe that you and I should be should go fishing, literal fish, real fish, not just fishers of men, but real fish. You say, why? Because when Peter opened the mouth of one fish, it had his, tithe or his taxes in it. I have been fishing and fishing and fishing and fishing, and every single uh, fish that I've opened his mouth, I have not found one, but the faith is increasing, I will continue to fish. <laughs> now, if you get the point, please get the point, and that is that I need to focus on what Jesus was focusing on. It was the kingdom. Pretty much about 169 times the word kingdom is found in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 13, you'll find the word kingdom 12 different times. So I need to perceive the world in which I live correctly. And then the last one, and I wish I had another about an hour for each of these, is recognizing how God has formed the church. And just a couple notes on this. There is a tremendous movement right now, probably worldwide, it is basically saying, you do not have to assemble, assemble together to be a Christian. I want to say, that's not the word of God. We need to be together on the Sabbath as much as possible. We need to rub shoulders. We need Sabbath school. These things cannot be lost, my friend. There's too much value in it, not just for the learning that takes place, but also for the fellowship that takes place, including, and listen carefully to me on this one, including the times that we're offended, Jesus said offenses will come, in which we have to work through an offense. You will never grow spiritually unless you work through offenses. And boy, they come in the body, I'll tell you. Because the enemy would like to destroy us as a body. And so the, the element of unity is what I want to stress right now. It's to stay unified. You know, I, I was pretty delighted this morning when I came. I, I have to admit this, after 32 years as a pastor, I still come to every single church that I come to with quite an element of fear and trembling. You say, you, you don't look that way. You folks scare me. You really do. I am more or less petrified to stand up here. But let me tell you this morning why it was easier then in a lot of situations, there were quite a number of people, I'm sorry to say they were all women, nothing wrong with you gals, I wish there were some guys out there, who met me at the door. And with beautiful smiles, shook my hand, just kind of brought kind of a relaxed feeling. You ladies who did that and continue to do it, I want to tell you, 
That's one of the most important ministries that you will ever come across, is to make somebody feel comfortable in the midst of God's people. I loved it. I loved it. It was somebody saying, hi, welcome, welcome. And I want to say, I needed that. I needed that tremendously. Five things. May I encourage you that we need to stay before the Lord, seeking God on a regular basis to understand who he is. Today, I believe he's an incredible, gentle savior. Doesn't put up with sin because sin kills. Grace, absolutely. Number two, understanding my own personal makeup. Meaning simply that I have the ability to fail. I need Jesus, really. Some years ago, or quite, I think, if you want to call them demon lies, one of them that is so classic is that we as Christians need God as a crutch. I remember a famous pastor some years ago said, if God is a crutch, give me two of them. Just to indicate, here's a person that is learning. We don't make it on our own. We're not strong enough. Number three, need to know the enemy. Not by placing a major amount of information or consciousness upon him, but recognizing that the Bible says that we're up against a very strong and powerful enemy. And it's not people. It's the enemy of our soul. Number four, that we perceive correctly the world in which we live. I'll tell you, friend, I get turned upside down and angry quite often. And I have to realize, here's a person that needs Jesus. And I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get upset. It's a matter of, Lord, help me not to do that. I want to be a witness to the people that need you. And then the last one, recognizing how God has formed the church. And that is that if you want to run from the world in which we live, this is as far as you go. Back in the 60s and early 70s or so, there was a tremendous movement towards in the body of Christ and in the world as well. There was a tremendous movement towards kind of an exclusivism. It was a matter of going and buying a piece of land up in the middle of nowhere and everybody retreating to it. And I'm not talking about retreats and wonderful places to go be alone with the Lord. I'm talking about a Jim Jones mentality. I'm talking about a David Koresh mentality. And there were those kinds of things all over. I have reason to believe that you're going to be introduced to that in the days ahead. Don't fall for it. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And if we want to run, you run to brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We need each other. We need each other. Come this afternoon. We're going to really get into some powerful things. Thank you.